This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Times best-selling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. And Taylor, when we last spoke, we, we chatted about Ferrari and the pending arrival of some little Ferraris. Yeah, she's holding the hostages hostage. She should not release them. And I'm like, come on. She's huge. She's enormous. And like the last time she had the baby, she was like, didn't even look like she was ready to have a baby yet. And that's when we got that whose baby is this story. And so now I was like, well, I'm not taking any chances. I'm going to move her to the the better shelter with the, you know, the, the birthing part of the, the whole process and get her in there she gets her grain and whatever but she's the only one in there now and she's by herself with a dog and goats don't like being alone and i thought it was only going to be for a few days and she's still <laughs> pregnant and i'm just like oh my god how long is this going to drag out but yeah she's she's not happy in there by herself but she does like the extra food and the other babies that were not so small anymore they've gone off to well, we'll just say greener pastures it was it was funny because one of them is was um he's he's all got that splotch color um the exact word for it escapes me sorry i'm not having the best of brain days today um which i i lose touch with vocabulary when that happens but it they're very hard to find goats like this when they have these multiple colored patterns on it and the people who wanted to buy them i knew i could tell just from the way that they were wording things that we're looking at tacos here. And I was like, look, oh. <laughs> I don't care what you do with these other ones. Okay. They're going to be grown up, whatever. They're, they're, they're not going to be cute anymore when it happens, but this one, he's too expensive to eat. Please don't eat him. <laughs> and when they saw him, they're like, yeah, yeah, we like him. Do you have any more like that? And I was like, no, but, but don't eat him, please. And they're like, yeah, don't worry about it. And you, you you can't really tell people who are buying animals that are food animals not to eat them. You know, you can't once they go, there's nothing you can do about that. But I was like, at least let them understand, please. He's valuable. And so I think he'll probably have a good, happy life. That's the story I'm telling myself anyway. Yes. If he was if he was a girl, I would have kept him. But I don't you know, I, I can only feed so many mouths and they have to to earn their keep. So, oh, oh well. He's really pretty, though. So we have some Q and A today. You yeah, tell the do. story, like right, like three o'clock this afternoon. You went out <laughs> to the Taylor Taylor Stevens <laughs> fan club group on Facebook and and in a panic and asked yeah. what I got nothing, you know. <laughs> so we did get some questions, but um, I I just kind of been collecting questions. None none of them are are big enough to do a show on specifically. So I figured, well, we've got the one, I think we have a couple from the Facebook group, but I don't know that one of them is going to be really great to answer here. The other one can take a little bit more thought than I can do just rapid fire. But I figured, well, we've got all these other questions I've just kind of collected. 
then let's just do some really fast rapid fire Q&A and see where it takes us. Some of them might end up becoming longer and we split it up and have enough for multiple episodes, but who knows? We'll see what happens. Okay, first question. And I I I've read all these questions and I I love all of them. So this is this is going to be a fun show. Is writing fan fiction a waste of time? No. <laughs> That's my answer. <laughs> Can you expand on that, Taylor? <laughs> okay, well the way I see it is this. Anytime you're writing, you're building your um your craft. You're learning your technique, you're you're getting your voice. So fan fiction is a perfect way to do that because you don't have you're not dealing with um having to really create the characters from scratch the it's like when you're handed a piece of homework where a lot of the blanks are already filled in and and that gets you a start and you just sort of have to to only focus on the missing pieces it's a little bit what fan fiction is like so if your goal is going, oh, well, I want to write a book that I can publish and make money off of, you know, maybe not. But if you're looking for a way to practice your writing skills and storytelling chops and sort of get a feel for for how this all works and get excited about the process, well, fan fiction is great because you're already excited about these characters. You're already excited about the world that they're in, or you wouldn't be writing fan fiction to begin with. So that excitement that's in you is driving you forward. And it's just a perfect melting pot, a perfect pot of soup for being able to easily and without any stress or pressure to just do it. You don't have to worry about if you finish it or not, because it's not, you can't sell it anyway. You can go as long or short as you want on it because it's a freebie. It's you're taking somebody else's ideas and running with them and, and turning them into something new. You can practice all the things that go into storytelling and writing craft without any of the even self-imposed pressure about how good it has to be or any of that. You just write and tell stories for the joy of the world that you love being a part of. And eventually you'll be able to get to a point where you can take that same feeling and, and that same excitement and convert it into characters of your own that you love in a world of your own that you love. So I, I think writing fan fiction is the exact opposite of a waste of time. I would say that if I was teaching a creative writing course, I would say, what's your favorite character? what favorite world is in now do some fan fiction follow you know in the I, fan fiction is perfect perfect way to hone your skill there that's the long answer yeah and i as as you were saying that i was thinking of being a much younger person um and practicing basketball i love basketball i wanted to play basketball stopped growing and uh, that that didn't work out as well as I thought. But I loved playing and I loved practicing. And you just get the ball and you go out and start practicing. This is a form of that. It's just like, you know, you're you're grabbing someone else's characters and you just start writing. Yeah. So. All right. Second okay. question. This is this is good. I, I'm, I'm anxious to hear your thoughts on this one. How do you constructively critique a work that just isn't any good? And I know you have experience with this. 
I can't say that because then everybody's going to be going, it wasn't me. <laughs> no, it was me. I'm saying it was me. Oh, so your work was good. That, we can just leave it at oh. that. We can leave okay. it at that. Well, you've, you've done, you've looked at some of my stuff yeah. and we could say, yeah, that's okay. So it's hard. It's hard to critique work that isn't any good, but it's hard on two different levels. So the first level is how do you approach it? to break the news to the guys. <laughs> this isn't any good. That's just brutal. That is that I, I I don't even really know the how to on that except just being empathetic and honest but at the same time like understanding how hard every single word you utter out of your mouth is going to hit. It's like you think you're just tapping and the other person is feeling full body punches, right? So to keep that in mind. Uh, the other half of it is actually offering cons constructive critique. And in my mind, that's 10 times harder because it's one thing to be able to see something and recognize that it's not very good. And to say, well, yeah, you know, I, I got where you're coming from on this, but I think it's not quite there yet. And it needs a little bit more work. That's one thing. The other thing entirely is showing how to do that or offering actual suggestions that are useful. Because if, if you say to someone, well, I think the dialogue needs to be tightened up a bit, that's absolutely worthless. That doesn't help at all. It's not constructive. It's just critique. And if the person knew how to tighten the dialogue up or saw that the dialogue needed to be tightened up, they would have already done it. So saying, yeah, I think you need to go back and tighten up the dialogue a bit is just, that's just cruel, in my opinion. If somebody said that to me, I'd be like, I am never coming back to you for help again, ever, which might be what you hope for. Fine, you win. Um, <laughs> so... Having the ability to actually be able to offer constructive advice, that's very hard because it means you now are put in the position of having to figure out what exactly went wrong and how to fix it. And that is very difficult brain work and people charge a lot of money for that. In, in the real world. And that's what the most time consuming shows that we've episodes that we've ever done on the show have all been is basically showing the constructive, the constructive critique in real time and, and how it could be done better. So there's the delivering the bad news part of it. And then there's the delivering helpful news part of it. And they're both going to be situational, of course based on what level the writing is at. There have been times I've seen stuff across my desk that I simply did not have it in me to do the work necessary to make it better because it would have required so much. The, In other words, the raw material was still so far from where it needed to be that even I, I just couldn't. It, it was too much. It was like when you if, you, if you're like a PhD level expert in, in a field and someone comes along and asks a question that would have been answered in grade school, 
it's but they're asking it in such a way that they want you to explain that at the PhD level. You're just like, um, I don't even really know where to start with this because the fundamentals are so, so not there. And so if you're dealing with that kind of a situation, I don't, I don't really know what to say, except, you know, there's stuff that still, this still needs work. And um, I think maybe you might want to just look at this from the perspective of are all the elements in place? There's a lot, you know, we need to have a little bit more uh, showing, not telling. This is missing. That is missing. Why don't you come back to me with another draft? And I might be able to give you a little bit more constructive feedback. Like that sucks. That's that's just a really horrible position to be in. But if you're working with material that's well-written, it's just missing a few things, then based on what that is, once you've delivered the bad news at whatever level that bad news is, is then it's like, well, it's, it's actually not as bad as it sounds because if you did this and you did this, it would totally fix this particular problem. I'd love to see what kind of solutions you come up with doing that. Then, then you're covered. <laughs> you didn't have to do the work, but you offered them solutions. So it just kind of depends on where you're at, where, where the material at. But when you're talking about work that just isn't any good, there's the bad news. And then there's like, this isn't, this isn't ready yet. It, there's just go back and and see if you can get some more motion into it. See if you can get a little bit more detail in it. See if you can tighten it up a bit. And then let's look at a second draft, maybe even a third draft. Let's just get another draft going on this. I think that's that's the best that I could possibly do in a scenario like that. All right. <clears throat> this this next question kind of ties in with the last one. It's the other side of, of that question. How do you face the embarrassment of sharing your material with other people? <laughs> you just got to suck it up. Um, uh, this is this is what I did <laughs> way back when. But I mean, I still go through this. Um, I think it's even it never stops because even now when I finish a work and I pass it on to beta readers or whatever, there's still this feeling, this gut feel, uh, gut sick feeling in my stomach that they're going to hate it, that it's not as good as any of the stuff I've ever done before, that it's going to be a disappointment, that I've lost my touch. Like I still go through all of that every time I send out material to, to beta readers, but I at least have the benefit of knowing that, well, I've, I've got some letters after my name, you know, like I, I've got the accomplishments and the awards and whatever. So I can soothe my shattered sobbing ego with those things. So if you don't have any of those things and you like haven't even published a book and, and you're just, you know, trying, and maybe you're still not even that good at it yet. You know, how do you face that embarrassment? Well, either you do or you don't like, if you're the type of person who knows that any kind of embarrassment like that is just going to shut you down and make you not want to write anymore, then don't share it. Let you be your own worst critic and just keep reworking your own material until you don't feel quite as embarrassed about it anymore. And then you'll feel a little safer to share it. Do go that, go that way. You don't know, nothing says that you have to share your work with anyone else. There's no rule. You can get better as a writer. Absolutely. If you're your own critique and you can spot your own stuff this is what I did. I didn't share my work until it was like 
almost ready to go to an agent because I did not want to deal with negativity from people who are poor readers or whatever. You know, there's there are people who who love criticizing and pointing things out like they feel like that's their their obligation or their their job in life is to make sure other people know they're not that good. Uh, avoid those people. They're they're not your friends. You don't need that nonsense. Uh, when you yourself feel like, oh, this isn't that bad, then maybe you're ready to share it with other pe- people. But you have to recognize that your version of this isn't that bad is still going to be really bad to other people. It's just the way it is. It's okay. You accept that. And in your head, you go, they, just because somebody says that something's wrong doesn't mean they're right. Just because they don't like it doesn't mean they're right. Just because they don't like it doesn't mean I'm bad at what I do. It just means they saw some stuff that wasn't working for them. So I can take the things that they think they saw and ignore all the emotion that comes with it. You suck. You'll never be good at this. Why are you wasting your life? You should be putting your time to better use. All that garbage. That's you putting that on there. Unless somebody actually uses those words with you, that's just you and that's your negativity. If somebody uses those words with you, they are not your friend. Do not ever talk to them again. They do not belong in your life. If you're doing those words to you, then it's not fair to put that as if somebody else said it to you. That That's not cool. It's not cool. It's not fair to them and it's not fair to you. So you now have to separate the way you're interpreting the feedback from what's actually being said. And just know that if you're like really proud of this piece and thinking that it's pretty good, it's going to get negative feedback. That's what happens. If somebody comes back and says, oh, it's perfect. I loved it. They're lying. They're lying because they don't want to hurt your feelings. (laughs) So you just know, okay, I don't want to get negative feedback, but that's part of this process. They're going to say things that didn't work for them. And then I'm going to take what I want from that. And if I can use it, I will. And if I can't, it doesn't matter. Just because they said it doesn't make it true. That's how you face the embarrassment of sharing your material with other people. And I think it's also important to point out the value of sharing your material with the right people, because there will be people that you'll share the material with who will say, yes, this is great. I love it. And they, they may love That's it. That's true. But they, they're, it, it's like, you know, the, uh, well, I'm not going to get into a whole cooking thing, but it, we all know people who go to one restaurant and they say, this is the best restaurant I've ever been to. And in your mind, you would like, I would never go there. Um, and if your, your palate is at a different level, let, let's just say. Um, and so for readers, there's, Some readers whose expectations are so low that just the fact that you've written something and it's mildly entertaining to them, they're going to say it's great. And that's not a good thing at all. Yeah. So that's true. Uh, That's true. So I guess maybe inserted somewhere in there in the line of things should be the qualify the customer. Uh, Yeah. You know, I'm putting that in in heavy finger quotes here because that, you know, you want to make sure that you're giving it to somebody whose opinion you value and who also knows what they're talking about and who would uh, 
I guess appreciate it. Like if you don't, if you're writing science fiction, don't give it to somebody who hates science fiction or who only ever reads romance or who only reads a book once every three years. That is not your audience. You you don't want to get feedback from people who can't offer you the feedback that you need. This is a bit of a challenge though, because often the feedback, the people you would want to get feedback from specifically as a writer are way too busy with their own stuff to really spend a lot of time on it. So you kind of have to balance that with taking what you can get. So, you know, if you yourself are able to critique someone else's work in exchange, that could be a good symbiotic relationship. Finding someone who's right about at your level, maybe a little higher or so, and you work with each other as a team, critiquing your stuff back and forth. And then as you grow, maybe you grow faster as a storyteller or word crafter than the person you're with. You find somebody else in that same vein, but you don't just, you know, there are those who will just like write something and then just put it out for the public. And if you're going to do that, you've got to have this uh, just a spine of steel and the strongest constitution where you just don't, don't care about the negativity and you're willing to and able to take from that negativity the little kernels of truth that you can use to make yourself a stronger storyteller and a stronger writer. But in my mind, if you're still trying to figure out how to face the embarrassment of sharing your material with other people, that's way down the road. If you're not even there yet, you're still working on finding somebody that you feel safe to trust. And, and that's where that comes into the picture. Okay, last question for this episode. And this is, I think, one that maybe applies to you, Taylor. If you stop writing for long enough, do you think you'd lose your style? <laughs> yes, that does apply to me very much so. Um, okay, let me think. See, so when I start answering this question, I'm thinking of it specifically as myself. But I'm not the average bear when it comes to these things. So I'm going to look at it from two directions. First, I would say like where are you at in your writing journey? Because if if you haven't even completed a book yet you haven't even got that first draft finished and you set it aside and you come back to it after four or five years or whatever you know would you have lost your style yeah you're going to be basically you're going to be starting from scratch because wordcraft is is like any other muscle the more you use it the stronger it becomes the more everything becomes second nature so the less experience you have with wordcraft or as a storyteller then the less time it's going to take of not doing it before you start to slip and lose your style i i think instead of saying style i would say like voice so for me personally you know i've had these big gaps now between writing working on fiction because of my brain break problem and every time i start up again it is, it takes time to get back and find my voice, find my rhythm, just get back into story building and, and storytelling, but I haven't lost it. It's still all there. It's just a little out of shape. 
and it takes a bit to, to get back into it and to to find the strength in, in the writing again. I think that I could probably go 10 years without writing stories and start again and be back up, assuming my brain was functioning, <laughs> functioning as it should be, I could probably be back up and running again. And I'd say within about a month of regular, just exercising that muscle, that doesn't mean I would have a story written in a month. It means that I would find my rhythm and, you know, find myself back in the groove of laying down the first track of words, you know, that rough draft, that outline, getting that all done. But it would be kind of frustrating at first. And then I would read some of my stuff and be like, oh, my God, this sucks. But you know what? That that happens anyway. So it's just a matter of how hard I would have to work to kind of find myself in the words again. But if I had stopped writing when I was in the process of, say, writing The Informationist and set that aside then I don't know if I would ever have picked it back up again because I didn't really find my voice until I was nearly finished with that first book. And I could tell I was still struggling into the second book. It wasn't until I hit my third book that I really found my stride. I really found my voice and was like, okay, I got this. I know what I'm doing now. Not that you ever really know, know what you're doing. Every book you feels like you're starting over. Every book you feel like, how am I going to be able to pull this off? I have bitten off way more than I can chew. Every book, it is just a mess right up until you finally get the end of that first draft. And then you got to look at the mess that you got in front of you. And it's just this two steps forward, one step back process. It's always like that. And it gets harder the more you've done it because you're getting better the more you've done it. Your standards are higher the more that you've done it. It does not get easier. But what you've done is built up those muscles well enough that if you stopped, you can just start again. It's not like you have to relearn anything. It's not like you're, I mean, every book is a learning experience, but it's not like you're figuring out the basics all over again. You've, you've, you've got that muscle memory. So if you stopped writing for long enough, do you think you'd lose your style? Me? No. But I've been doing this for a long time now. If you'd asked me that same question, you know, one or two years into writing, I don't think I would know how to answer it. I might think like, no, probably not. But back then, I didn't know what it was like to stop writing and and have these long gaps of time either. So that's my best guess on it. I would say that if you haven't got at least one or two finished books under your belt. That doesn't mean published, just finished. Finished books under your belt probably be pretty easy to lose that your voice, the strength of your writing with enough time of not doing it anymore. It is like anything else. You have got to do it regularly and consistently to keep those muscles strong. All right, and we are out of time for this week's episode, but we've got some great questions coming up in next week's episode. So please join us again in another week, and thank you for being here again. Thanks for being here, guys. We'll see you next week.